Welcome to Solutions Cast, a CFC podcast that highlights cooperative network projects and leader stories, as well as economic and energy industry insights. I'm your host, Christine Pachenik. CFC takes pride in supporting our members as they plan for EV adoption into their service territories. And joining me for a discussion here today on EV planning and management are two cooperative leaders who have put in place different EV designs and programs, as well as rate options that fit the unique needs of their cooperatives. Uh, Recently, CFC has published an issue brief for planning and managing EV loads and solutions articles that also featured in the last year both of these co-ops. So today, here with me is Marshall Cherry, who is currently the president and CEO of Roanoke Electric Cooperative in Allander, North Carolina. Welcome, Marshall. Thank you. And also here with me is Tim Gerald, who is the Vice President of Power Supply Rates and DER Strategy at Cobb EMC, located in Marietta, Georgia. Thanks for joining. Hello. To start us off, uh, this is the first time I've actually had two cooperatives sitting here on the podcast. And I want to give a brief overview of both cooperatives because... You do come from fairly different cooperatives, and your demographics are different, your um, member-owner preferences are different, and these are all factors that I think are going to flow into the conversation that we have about the EV programs that you've instituted in your cooperatives. With that, Marshall, why don't you give us just a quick look at what your cooperative audience and member owners look like? Absolutely. So we're located in northeastern North Carolina. We're serving, I would say, one of the most economically distressed service territories in the nation, if you will, uh, given some of the statistics that we do have in our service territory. Also in North Carolina, we're, I think, ranked right at about uh, 2021 in size, but our our density is on the lower end, the lowest in the state. So there's an opportunity here for us really to work on how do we be more efficient in our delivery of service to our member owners uh, because of the fact we have obviously the system here, but a declining population. So that gives a little sense as to Ronald Electric. Uh, we have a lot of exciting opportunities ahead of us through a vision called Vision 2025. And so we look forward to really uh, making that happen. Excellent. And Tim, how about Roanoke? Give us an a overview yeah. on that. Yeah, so at, at Cobb MC, we're, we, um, we're a little different than Roanoke Electric. Um, we are um, we got about 218,000 meters in our service territory, but we're we're very dense. Um, I think we have one of the highest miles per line of electric cooperatives in the nation because we are very much an urban cooperative. So we try to keep our members satisfied, you know, by having a lot of different programs. We serve five counties here in Marietta, Georgia, which is the uh, outskirts of Atlanta, uh, the northern suburbs. And we also have a gas affiliate called Gas South that serves gas retail customers in Georgia and industrial customers outside of Georgia. So that's also something a little different for Cobb EMC, having that separate fuel business. And that's that's pretty much Cobb EMC. Excellent. Yep. So thank you, Cobb, not mm-hmm. Roanoke. Yeah, we, but we knew who you're talking about. <laughs> so I think it's been interesting to have not only two cooperatives on here. We know that from one cooperative to another, uh, there's such a variance in not only size, but location, obviously challenges that everybody faces. And one of the things that you both did was work with CFC on instituting EV programs and new rate design options for your membership. Now, 
Tim, can you give us an overview of your lifestyle program? I know that also includes a time of use rate that you call night flex, correct? Yes. Just give us an idea of what that looks like. Sure. So we have a um, an EV and also a rate that if you can shift usage, that is very, very conducive for you as a member. So it's um, basically has three buckets, time of use buckets. You have the off-peak, you have the super off-peak, and then you have the on-peak. And what that rate was designed to do was really drive smart behavior in electric usage. You know, whether you have an electric vehicle or, you know, if you can shift usage from on-peak to off-peak or super off-peak. Um, it is great for members that have an electric vehicle because it does offer 400 kilowatt hours free per month. So if you are charging your electric vehicle between midnight and 6 a.m., you can charge your vehicle for free under the uh, Nightflex rate. And it's been a very popular rate, especially among the members that own an electric vehicle. Great. And now, Marshall, you have a different program. Uh, you have a subscription rate program that is obviously has a few different advantages to it in the way that you've set it up. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So our subscription rate includes an offer that really should simplify enrollment into an EV home charging program, which simplicity was really key for us. Uh, most of the EV rates that we had seen historically, which was also really a first version of an EV rate that we rolled out, included a whole house time of use rate plan. And, and so really what we discovered is our aim needed to be to separate members from some of the rigorous standards may come with putting the entire home on the time of use rate and focus on ensuring that the charger, which is typically the home's most energy intense appliance, on time of use at level two. So our rate includes uh, the cover, the cooperative covering the cost of installing the electric vehicle supply equipment, and we're offering a discounted kilowatt hour rate for a subscribed number of kilowatt hours that will be given level two charging options at night. As far as rate options, do you think that they're worth it to your members? I mean, this is an open question to either of you, so feel free to jump in. I believe so. Uh, We're even learning as we are still in pilot mode, but we're even learning that we needed to bring out uh, options. Uh, We originally had one option when we first introduced our pilot, but we've included a few more tiers due to memory inquiries. Our, Our existing rate or the original version of our subscription would allow a person to charge up to 400 at that discounted rate. But there are some uh, 450 kilowatt hour, but there are some um, member owners who may not drive that much. I think the 450 equates to about 1,500 miles per month of driving. And so there are some folks who didn't drive uh, those that amount of miles. So given that, we needed to bring in a few other options that were lower. And I agree with um, Marshall. I believe it's definitely worth it. You know, every home has a different, uh, unique set of energy needs. So when we implemented our lifestyle rate program, which includes a night flex rate, given our member residential rate options, um, they can go in and select the rate that really fits their lifestyle. And those, again, that can shift load or have an EV, you know, the night flex rate works very well for them. They have an opportunity to save money, you know, charge uh, for free. Our average member uses about 330 kilowatt hours a month. So when offering 400 kilowatt hours a month for free, you really are charging your EV, you know, at no charge between that midnight and 6 a.m. So I think it's been well worth it. Yeah, and that's something that I know I always look at this from a member engagement perspective that we know consumers in general 
like options. They like feeling empowered or at least understanding. And that's something that we're going to get into when we talk about your member engagement part of this is just how some of those factors have influenced your programs for member engagement. Now, can you talk a little bit about the factors that shaped your decision as you looked at an EV program for your members? Well, as as I mentioned uh, early on, some of the statistics in our region and simplicity certainly was paramount for us, but we a, a big part of our strategy is addressing pocketbook solutions. And so the whole educational aspect of ensuring that folks understood the total cost of ownership savings with EVs is very important. Also, given the fact that we're in an area that's not growing, we need to really start working in and honing in on how do we improve our load factor. So this is a program that could really help get us there. And then, of course, there's this emerging technology where we have this opportunity to really transform a community. So these are some of the things that are really motivating us um, and excites us as we work through our Vision 2025. No, that's great. It's exciting to hear. How about you, Tim? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So we wanted a rate that you know is beneficial to our members and promotes EV adoption. Uh, we've seen a growth in EV adoption in our service territory, but on the flip side of that, when we have members that are adding EVs and charging, and um, we want them to charge in times that don't really create a higher demand, you know, or put an impact on the utility or on the member. So what we do is develop the rate that, you know, gives you the opportunity and helps support behavior of charging at night um, and not adding to the on-peak load. And it's, it's worked out well with the, the design of that rate, those members that have an EV. Great. And how about what what you're seeing in terms of evolving EV technology? Is that something that is going to impact how you handle these programs moving forward? Well, we're definitely seeing an evolution of more efficient batteries and longer ranges on some of the EV models, and that's great. So we'll need that technology to continue to evolve, especially when you're looking at V2G systems. So there's adequate power electronics really at a reasonable cost. And then the utilities can look at programs to really benefit from VGG programs, along as the members, as long as well as the members. So it's an important technology, um, really, to help prevent excessive demand on the system, um, but also help maybe reduce the demand curve or at least maybe keep it flat. So I think those technologies, along with managed EV charging programs, are critical for the future to help manage the growth of EV kilowatt hours. And so you know it's important to keep an eye on those and and come up with programs that help support those. Yes, I would certainly echo Tim's comments, particularly around vehicle-to-grid opportunities. We've actually explored that, and we're having some conversations even uh, from a fleet perspective with with a school system. Uh, We're probably going to lean more toward, first and foremost, just making sure that we can add a bus or two to their fleets. But however, we do acknowledge the opportunity, whereas these batteries could be used as a portion of our whole plan of, of of resiliency, as well as just flattening our load duration curve. And another thing I'd like to add to that point is we do look forward to uh, the Ford Lightning actually becoming a part of the EV uh, evolution because this is certainly going to be important in a very rural area like northeastern North Carolina, as we we do acknowledge that we feel that a lot of the uh, the reasons why we're not at a place where we would love to be in terms of the numbers is because of the fact pickups are not available because there are so many pickups in, in very rural areas, particularly like the area. That's a game changer. Um, not... It, all over the place. So we've got three on order and I'm excited about us getting those in our in our EV fleet and testing those out. 
No, I agree with you both. I think the, again, it goes back to options in some sense uh, of options of vehicles. I mean, I know even me as somebody who has one child with another small child on the way, I'm not looking for a smaller car. I'd be looking for a larger car. People who want pickups want, you know, a certain type of car. And I don't think there's necessarily enough options out there for all of the consumers. To Marshall's point, I mean, I think there's huge potential in the future around electric buses um, and especially EV fleets when the economics, you know, really drive that. Um, I think we'll see see a lot more of that taking place as far as adoption. Uh, and I agree. And I was going to follow up with you to see, you know, in terms of opportunities that you're looking at for fleets as well. I know that that's something that seems to be getting a lot of headlines, uh, not only within cooperatives, but just uh, for electric utilities in general. Now, one other avenue of evolving technology that I wanted to touch on was fast charging. How has this impacted your programs? I imagine that obviously as a consumer and a member of a electric cooperative, I want things a little bit faster and I want to understand them. And uh, is that something that you are taking advantage of, Marshall? Are you talking about DC fast or are you level two? Level two charging. Level two charging. Yeah. So certainly for us, uh, every, every three to four um, level two charges equate to another house being built on our system. And that's why this is so important for us. We're going to load up a lot of resources ensuring that we can ensure that more folks are, are subscribing and that there are more people purchasing and aligning ourselves with some of the strategies in the state of North Carolina as our governor has an executive order to have more electric vehicles um, on the highways here in North Carolina. The opportunity to add these, these level two charges and control them um, it, basically, in, in terms of operation, will have significant impact on our ability to improve our organizations and our utilities load factor. So, yes, this is major to us. And level two charging, we're looking forward to it. We want to add more, but we also want to make sure that it's done at a time where it supports our wholesale power purchase. I, I echo Marshall's words exactly. I mean, that home charging is is where we want to go, and and promoting that, we offer a two hundred fifty dollar incentive for our members to um, install a home EV charger. So we absolutely want to promote that adoption and do what we can to support that growth. Now, again, this goes back a lot to the what the members, your member owners are looking for and how you can potentially engage them in the program. Uh, and obviously that is an avenue that you, you both are looking at using and leaning on. But what, some of the, what are some of the other ways that you uh, try to engage your members when you launch these new programs? So for us, what was interesting is, is we officially launched um, an EV pilot rate in December of 2019. And of course, we all know what happened three months later. Uh, mo- most of our engagement obviously has been virtual uh, since that time. We, we had our very first uh, EV community event, which was virtual back in June of 2020. Uh, we, we also have a team member who leads outreach efforts to those folks who have shown some level of interest and will conduct one-on-one sessions to walk the member owner through the process. We've also included these same member owners who have shown interest in some of our advisory committee discussions. And, and overall, I would say the interest is there, but we're working on ways to support member owners' decisions to purchase through having additional funds. In some cases, we've been able to work with uh, some philanthropic partners to help support some rebates that we may want to offer, particularly in the low-income community. Uh, we have successfully engaged to date six of our member owners to purchase a vehicle and, and actually enroll in our program. And we want to make sure that we can continue to build on that as we're standing up the resources that are undergirding our work. 
So we'll, um, when we develop a new so program we'll, or rate, uh, Christine at Cognizant, we'll spend months communicating out to our members before we actually roll it out. And during those months, we'll send out e-newsletters, um, webinar, hold webinars, you know, post stuff on social media, put out FAQs on our website. Uh, we'll also hold focus groups um, a lot of times to make sure that what we have put together is understood because I think that's critical when you roll out a new program or you roll out a new rate. Um, if your members don't understand it, then you've, you've failed in communicating it out. So that's always important to, to you know, gauge the communication and understanding with our members before we actually roll something out. Um, and that's been very successful. And, and we received you know, great feedback on the night flex rate and we did those things before we rolled out that, um, that night flex rate, for example. And positive uh, feedback and response from your members for, for these things, I'm, I'm assuming, especially, it sounds like you both have made great steps in really engaging your member owners, whether it's uh, allowing them to come out and test drive vehicles and really just education, education, education. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And the EV experience program that we have where members can come and check out an EV that's in our fleet, I mean, that has been hugely successful because it's helped members get an idea of what the EV drives like, you know, how it feels, the, the type of room it's in them. And we've got several different ones in our, in our fleet. And uh, we've gotten great feedback from our members over the last two years with that program. Yeah. And education for us certainly is ongoing. The, I would say the big challenge for us is helping member owners understand the savings opportunities that, that comes with owning an EV. This is a paradigm shift for many because there are so many limitations and, and so many limited resources. Uh, in the region. We, we also, we could kind of deem public charging options, the limited public charging options to contribute as well to the response that we have been able to yield to date. So we acknowledge that we have an active role and, and given all of that, we have had some successful engagement again with more philanthropic support and other opportunities to garner funds to put up some public charges. So we, we actually added our first DC fast charger in our service territory back in April of 2021, very successful there. And Tesla following that actually has added a bank of charges since then. And again, this is in our service territory on our Western end, which uh, Interstate I-95 actually goes right through that part. So that's a pretty busy part of our service territory. And beyond that, we do have a few level two charges available. Um, we have one actually at our office and there are some others throughout our service territory, but. Still, there's an opportunity for us to close that gap because we still sense that there's some range anxiety, although we have this great program. Marshall, we, we've got a DC fast charger, and ever since we installed it, we've seen continuous increase each month of, of use of that fast charger. I imagine you're seeing the same thing on yours. Yeah. That's great, great information and great tie-ins, too. And were, I'm curious as well, were there any top questions or concerns that your members came to you that kind of stood out to you and that you needed to address as far as something that you felt was maybe unexpected? Not unexpected, but, you know, demand rates and time of use rates, they, they take some um, some effort to make sure members understand them. So probably some of the some common things as we were talking to our members and sent out communication and putting FAQs together you know, was, is what, how does a time of use rate work? You know, do I have to have an EV to be on our night flex rate? Um, because we did not make it specific. You got to own an EV. And so that was something important. We want to make sure the members understood, you know, and how can I save money being on the night flex rate? Um, members are always, you know, looking for ways to save on their electric bill. So we'll make sure that was understood. And then how can I find my usage? You know, when you're looking at a time of use rate, it's important that you kind of have an idea when you use power, right? So, 
we made sure to communicate also how you can go into, you know, our Smart Hub app and, and identify and look at your hourly usage, uh, monthly usage, you know, whatever you want to look at. So those are kind of some common things with the Nightflex rate. Right. And for us, I'm uh, not really surprised um, either on this end, really more around ranges, I would say, because of the fact that we, we really have limited resources in terms of uh, public charging options. So that's, again, one of the reasons why we want to somewhat close that gap. But beyond that, vehicles, you know, questions may come up every now and then about life of the battery and you know, the expenses there. And so we had to do research on some in some of these situations. But uh, speaking on behalf of, I guess, manufacturers in some cases. No, that makes sense. Now, what do you think the future holds for both of your programs? Well, as I've, I think I've said it early on for us, um, as we work through this uh, robust vision that we've called Vision 2025, it will heavily depend on IEV deployment. The success of this program is going to count on how well we're able to get more of our member owners to participate. The good thing is um, the, the technology is continuing to mer emerge. We have some government backing. Again, in the state of North Carolina, there is a major push for more electric vehicles. Um, of course, we're not a growing utility, so we need the additional load. And, and being able to manage this time of use gives us, again, significant opportunity to make our organization more efficient. So it ties very closely to our work on maximizing our wholesale power spend, but also at the same time, beneficial electrification gives us an opportunity to sell more kilowatt hours. Yeah, and, and to echo that, I mean, we definitely want to continue at CobMC to increase EV adoption and look at programs to help with that. Um, I see the Nightflex rate continuing. It's been very successful. And as EV adoption, you know, increases, I can see more members sign up for Nightflex rate. But I think we also have to be flexible. Um, technology is evolving. Um, we're, we're making predictions on the growth of EV adoption that could accelerate. Um, you know, or vice versa. So I think as utility, we just need to continue to plan and prepare for, for what's to come. And that may be new programs that you come up with to help continue that, you know, spreading the the, the love for EV adoption and um, getting members to sign up for it or sign up and go and buy an EV. Great. And now my favorite question that I always ask our cooperative leaders on every podcast, and I'm going to give you both the opportunity to answer it. Can you sum up your insights for cooperative leaders who are looking at EV programs and potentially new EV rate design options for their members? And just out of your experience of all this, what, what would you say uh, your top three insights are? Yeah, definitely for us, just translating behaviors of our member owners. And that, of course, has been paramount because our member owners are looking to us to be the experts. And, and so make sure there's a solid ground game to promote education in this space. Uh, the second one is, you know, establish the programs that support. This is an opportunity to really lift loyalty um, because this is an opportunity to engage the member owner. We feel that the subscription package that we put together simplifies it and managing the installation process of the EV charger makes this more of a turnkey solution from the utility. And then finally, just ensuring that we're maximizing, you're maximizing on all of your technologies. We, we are managing a technology plan through this program to ensure that these, these three systems are working in concert and they are these. The charge itself, which typically is going to have an app because we're managing in the cloud. Our enterprise system, the, the building system, 
and a wholesale providers distributed energy resource management system. So I would really couch it under those three areas. These are some of the lessons learned, some of the opportunities to continue to improve as we've been working through our power. Well said. <laughs> great, great points. I would say at Cobb EMC, Christine, number one, um, it's a team effort. Um, EV growth for the utility can have an impact across the entire utility. So we put together an uh, internal EV working group and um, that's been uh, wildly successful. And uh, we've had a lot of brainstorming sessions and really put some thought into what does the future look like and so we can adequately prepare for it. So we've got folks from across the, the cooperative that's in that working group and um, to evaluate all aspects of EV impacts. And that's been, that's been a great learning opportunity, uh, but also a team effort as well. Number two, um, when you look at rate design, it's art and science. Um, the art is in making it appealing to members while the science is in driving specific behaviors, you know, and getting the desired outcomes. Um, that's a benefit both to the cooperative, but also to the members. And then the third is, you know, try to keep your programs and your rate design as simple as possible and make sure your members understand what you're doing and why you're doing it. Uh, rates, rates can be difficult to explain sometimes, so keeping it simple and having the right communication um, with members can be very helpful in uh, giving that member adoption. Excellent. This is all really great in terms of insights. I think uh, at the conversations that we've had around this, we've really determined that the takeaway is there's no one-size-fits-all approach to an EV program and the rate design options that can go into it. Uh, so it's it's one of those things where as I talk to you and I've talked to you more, the member engagement aspect, uh, the technology, the education that uh, is important, there's just so many aspects of this uh, that you need to, to keep updated on and also make sure that your members are updated on. Thank you both so much for joining me here and kind of giving your side of the story because I think the more that we talk about it and see how different cooperatives have handled their own unique situations, we see not only are there different opportunities, but there's also a lot of similarities there as well. And I, I hope that you get that sense as well. Absolutely. And thank you for the opportunity. Yes. Same here. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Solutions Cast. Be sure to subscribe to get the next episode and check nrucfc.coop slash solutions for more electric cooperative news.